great to see a Purpose Church so good uh, to be together today. We're continuing our 2023 series where we are studying the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. The title of our series is Jesus on Every Page. Where is Jesus in every book of the Bible? Uh, before we get into it, last Sunday, our local missions pastor, Pastor Eric Vasquez, uh, finished up our series uh, with the book of Daniel, uh, finished up our series within a series on the major prophets of the Old Testament. And we called that the majors. Uh, but let me tell you just a great story from Eric's area of ministry at our church. We actually have eight different services each Sunday. Three here at our worship center, our Spanish service over in the B building, our Arabic service in the H building, and then in addition to those, we have three microsites in some of the most challenging areas of the city of Pomona at one o'clock on Sunday afternoon. And I was at one of the microsites a few weeks ago, and I shared a Bible with uh, Jonathan. And here are these young men. Uh, Jonathan is who I shared uh, uh, the Bible with. He's the one right here to the right of Pastor Eric uh, with his uh, cap backwards. And then Jehovah, uh, right here in the Dodgers shirt, he was a few seats over. Uh, so Jehovah's in the Dodgers shirt, and he and the other Microsites members uh, went with Eric to build houses in Mexico. So a missions trip from our Microsites. And Jonathan, again, with the backwards hat to the right of Eric. Well, Pastor Eric told me the background of these two young men. About six years ago, uh, Jonathan, uh, who Eric was mentoring, was in a group home. Uh, hurting with trauma and no family. And he was into some problems with Jehovah right here, who Eric was also mentoring. And he was also going through his own trauma. Well, after several run-ins with one another, an altercation took place between the two that resulted in violence uh, when um, Jonathan stabbed Jehovah. Uh, this caused Jonathan to be incarcerated for three years of his juvenile life, and it resulted in Jehovah almost losing his life. During Jehovah's uh, recovery, he had to drop out of school, therefore delaying his graduation pathway. Well, years later, after Eric was discipling each of them, he encouraged them to reconcile, and they reconnected through uh, one of our microsites, the microsite that I was at and to forgive each other. Well, Jehovah has now graduated um, from school, and Jonathan is finding stability in life and from homelessness with the help of Paula Lance uh, from our own Purpose Church family. They now fellowship in the same small group weekly at one of our Purpose Church microsites. To God be the glory. My goodness, it reminds me of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 and 14. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of uh, hostility. Only Jesus. Jesus is the one that can break down that dividing wall of hostility. Now, the section of the Bible that we're starting today is uh, called the Minor Prophets of the Old Testament. So we've been in the Major Prophets of the Old Testament, and now the Minor Prophets. So we're calling this series... 
the minors. So the previous series, the majors, and this one, the minors. Now, we're going to have just an amazing summer uh, in this part of God's Word. For the next 10 weeks, it's going to be just an incredible summer experience because the minor prophets are the least preached of any section in the Bible. Uh, they're the least preached of any part of the Bible, the minor prophets. And there's a reason for that. It's hard work, okay? It's, it's like the orange tree in our, in Kimberly and my, our family's uh, backyard. And many of you have an orange tree in your backyard here in Southern California. And you know how it is. The lower branches of your orange tree, that's easy. You just pick the fruit right off. But then you got to go after the ones on the top of the tree. And that's more work. You got to get a ladder up there right next to the tree. You got to kind of make your way through the branches up to the top of the tree. Those, those oranges at the top of the tree are much more uh, difficult to get to. So the lower branches of the Bible are books of the Bible like Genesis, Exodus, uh, John, Acts, and Philippians. You just kind of bump into the tree and fruit falls into your hand. The minor prophets are like the fruit at the top of the tree. But we're going to go after it for the next 10 weeks. We're going we're gonna to get our ladders and we're going to climb and it's, we're going to work hard and we're going to get that juicy fruit that's there on the top of, of God's uh, tree. Now the title for today's study is Hosea, Jesus Our Pursuing Spouse. The first one of the minor prophets, Hosea, and is a picture of Jesus, our pursuing spouse. Now the background for Hosea. It takes 32 minutes, only 32 minutes, to read Hosea. So why don't you read it uh, this week? Uh, five minutes a time for six days, six or seven days, or just sit down in one reading and read it um, from uh, beginning to end, 32 minutes. Its content is God's compassion for the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. It's all Israel, Israel in the north, Judah in the south, but it's, it's God's compassion for the northern kingdom, specifically Israel, yet his condemnation of them for their unfaithfulness to him. Now, it gets very confusing. That's why I want to put a map up here, because we get so confused when we hear, okay, it's all Israel, but in this period where it's divided, you call the northern part, this is all Israel here uh, today, but the northern part, back in 700 BC, was called the kingdom of Israel. Its capital was Samaria. The southern part uh, of Israel was called the kingdom of Judah, and its capital was uh, Jerusalem. Now, the prophet uh, who, who preaches this book is Hosea. He's a northern prophet from northern Israel, probably from the capital city of Samaria. The date of his prophetic activity was from about 758 B.C. to 722 B.C. So that means that it was the last 36 years before uh, Israel was conquered by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. They are conquered here, so he's the preacher that preaches to the northern part, Israel, of uh, those 36 years right before they're destroyed and, and taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And here's the emphasis. God's unfailing love for his people, even when he must punish them for unfaithfulness. All right, let's look at Hosea's story. First of all, Hosea's call. Chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea, 
son of Beeri, during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nehoesh, uh, king of Israel. Now, Hosea had a difficult, a hard assignment. Uh, and it's going to involve uh, who he is called to marry. Had a hard assignment, and it involved who Hosea was called to marry. And, you know, Kimberly knows all about this. Kimberly knows all about this. Being married to me is a hard assignment. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Uh, this is our dog, Hazel. And on Monday night, Hazel brought us a gift uh, to our living room uh, that brought out my inner nine-year-old boy. It's just, it's always there right beneath the surface, that inner nine-year-old boy. For many of you, you men, I know it's, it, it's, it's there as well, isn't it? You can all, it just, it doesn't take much to bring it out. And what happened to us on Monday night brought out the the inner nine-year-old boy. Let's watch this together. Dad, it's still alive! It's still alive! I'm scared. Do I have to keep video? Please, don't make me! Oh, it's freaking on this. Turn on the video again. I am, but I can't know somebody else wrote this. evil. You know, it's the little things in life <laughs> that bring you so much joy. Scaring your wife or embarrassing your teenager. You know, it's so hard to decide between those little joys in life like uh, uh, embarrassing your teenager or scaring your wife. But now getting much more serious, Hosea's hard assignment, his difficult assignment, and kidding aside, this was a very, very heartbreaking, difficult assignment uh, that God had given to the prophet Hosea. Hosea's hard assignment was not physical suffering or imprisonment like it was for Jeremiah that we saw a few weeks ago. It was emotional and relational suffering. Now today we have video clips uh, to grab people's attention and, uh, and to uh, illustrate a point that, that I want to make. So today we have video clips. Uh, Jesus would use parables in order to get people's attention. And in the time of the prophets, God would call the prophets to do these dramatic living object lessons to grab the attention of the people. Dramatic living uh, object lessons to grab the attention of the people. And Hosea had this difficult assignment from God to illustrate what was going on in Israel at, at that time. Hosea 1 verse 2, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go marry a promiscuous woman and have children with her. For like an adulterous wife, this land is guilty of unfaithfulness to the Lord. 
he had to marry somebody that he knew in advance would not be faithful to him as an illustration to how Israel had not been faithful to God. That he continued to love them even though they had turned their backs on him and were worshiping other gods. So he married Gomer. That was her name, Gomer, daughter of Diblaim. And she conceived and bore him a son. Then the Lord said to Hosea, call him Jezreel, because I will soon punish the house of Jehu for the massacre at Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Now this massacre at Jezreel was a terrible thing, and, it, and it's a little confusing because God told uh, Jehu to do some of the judgment that he brought on that area, but he went way overboard for personal reasons, for personal glory, and as a vendetta, and out of vindictiveness, uh, he did this terrible massacre. And for that, God's judgment was going to fall on this particular area. In that day, I will break Israel's bow in the valley of Jezreel. Now the bow, as in bow and arrow, was a symbol of power in a day when it was a principal um, instrument of warfare. Bows were one of the main weapons of that time. Therefore, a broken bow symbolized the loss of power. Now this prophecy was fulfilled in 733 BC when the Assyrian king, Tiglath-Pileser III, seized this area of the valley of Jezreel. Moving on to verse 6, uh, Gomer conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And then the Lord said to Hosea, call her Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved, for I will no longer show love to Israel that I should at all forgive them. And then verse 7, yet I will show love to Judah, the, the southern kingdom, and I will save them not by bow, sword, or battle, or by horses and horsemen, but I, the Lord their God, will save them. So at this time, Judah, at this time Israel was not following the Lord, but at this time the southern kingdom, Judah, was following the Lord under the righteous king, King Hezekiah. So if you read in different places in the Bible, God miraculously delivered them from the Assyrians. Again, not by physical human means, bow, sword, battle, horses. God did it himself. He stepped in and supernaturally saved the southern kingdom, uh, even though this was the time of judgment for the northern kingdom. Uh, Israel was depending on their own strength, so they fell. And Judah was depending on God's strength, so they continued to stand. But unfortunately, after Hezekiah died, uh, they turned their back on God uh, under the reign of Manasseh, kind of hit a point of no return, and the Babylonians destroyed them 136 years later. So they stayed faithful enough to God to last another 136 years, but eventually what happened to them is the same thing that we see now happening in the northern kingdom. Uh, verses 8 and 9. After she had weaned Lohoruhamah, uh, Gomer had uh, another son. Then the Lord said, call him Lo-Ami, which means not my people, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. But then Hosea gives them a word of hope that after they got knocked down, after they got judged and punished, um, after this terrible thing was going to happen, God is going to help them get back up on their feet once again. 
And he'll do the same thing for us. We get knocked down, but God will get us back up to our feet once again. It says in verse 10, Yet the Israelites will be like the sand on the seashore, which cannot be measured or counted. In the place where it was said to them, You are not my people, they will be called children of the living God. And God will be the sa- do the same for you as well. Sometimes we go through a hard time because of poor choices we've made. And we fall down. But God is faithful and will pick us up to our feet once again. And then we see God's pursuing love. Uh, Gomer leaves Hosea for another man after the birth of their third child. So Gomer cheats on Hosea just like Israel cheated on God by pursuing other gods. So Hosea is commanded by God to provide a picture of this for the Israelites. Chapter 3, verse 1. The Lord said to me, Go show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, even though they turn, though they turn uh, to other gods. And so again, this is a picture of God pursuing us, even when we sin and turn our backs on him. Uh, what leads us to sin and to drift from our commitment to God is when we are no longer spending time in God's word. There's a direct connection between spending time in God's word and being able to resist temptation, live a godly life, uh, and disregarding God's word, which will eventually lead to disobedience. So that leads us to the danger of the absence of God's word. Chapter 4, verse 6. My people are destroyed from lack of knowledge. Verse 14. A people without understanding are going to come to ruin. And then Hosea 9, verses 7 and 8. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. Because your sins are so many and your hostility so great, the prophet is considered a fool, the inspired person a maniac. The prophet, along with my God, is the watchman over Ephraim, yet snares await him on all his paths and hostility in the house of, of his God. Now, now see, if, see if this sounds familiar. See if this sounds familiar. When the sins of a nation are many, hostility to God's word increases. And then during a time like that, those who preach God's word are considered fools and even seen as maniacs. They try to set a snare and a trap for them, and there is hostility uh, toward God's house. But despite all of that, even if it makes us unpopular as followers of Christ, as a church, as, as, as preachers of God's word, despite all that, even if it makes us unpopular, we as Christ followers are called to be watchmen. Uh, we're, we're called to warn people of God's coming judgment and sound the alarm, even if it's unpopular, even if people think we're crazy, even if people think we're fools. We still stand up for the truth because God has called us uh, to do so. And then that leads us to the danger of a stubborn heart. Uh, chapter 4, Hosea 4, verse 16. The Israelites are stubborn, like a stubborn heifer. How then can the Lord pasture them like lambs in a meadow? Hosea says that if they 
acted like stubborn cows. They couldn't expect to be treated like obedient sheep. Blessing comes for the obedient sheep, not for the stubborn cows. Then in chapter 7, verse 11, Ephraim is like a dove. Uh, in that culture, a dove was a sign of being naive, a, a flighty. That was the, kind of the connection that people had back then. Ephraim's like a dove, easily deceived and senseless. Now calling to Egypt and now turning to Assyria. <coughs> now doves uh, were a symbol uh, for being naive, like I said. And instead of trusting a God, they were always um, trying to find something else to trust in. Uh, Hosea is challenging the nation of Israel, uh, the kingdom of Israel. He's saying, you're just so easily deceived. You're just senseless. And how that manifested itself is the two superpowers of that day were Egypt and Assyria. And the Assyrian Empire covered parts of modern-day Iraq, Iran, uh, Kuwait, Syria, and Turkey. And so here was Israel as, as a smaller nation caught between these two superpowers, Assyria to the north of them and Egypt to the south of them, and Israel caught between the two. And so Israel kept making deals with each of them, with Assyria and Egypt, and playing them off of each other. But in the end, they got entrapped by them, especially Assyria, which ultimately brought the nation of Israel down. And so God was saying, and when Israel and Judah, when they would trust God instead of trusting one of these two superpowers, God would bless them. God would protect them. But when instead of trusting God, they look for other things to trust in, in this case Assyria and Egypt, that's when they get entrapped, and that's when they eventually were destroyed. He says in verse 13, Woe to them, because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them, because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. They say things like, you know, God's not real. You can't trust God. It doesn't make sense to obey God. Why would you obey God? Instead, let's, let's look to these tangible things like Assyria or Egypt instead of trusting God. And God says, I long to redeem you, but you won't allow me to do that. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail on their beds. They, sometimes we'd rather just be miserable instead of just breaking, uh, repenting, and crying out to God from our hearts. They do not cry out to me from their hearts, but they wail on their beds. They slash themselves. This is one of the ways that you worship the false gods back then, was to take a knife and, and to slash yourself with it. They, they slash themselves, appealing to their gods, a little g, for grain and new wine. But they turn away from me, God says. Then another thing Hosea says is, be careful what you sow. Watch what you sow. He says in chapter 8, verse 7, they sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. They sow the wind, and as a result, they reap the whirlwind. If you sow wrong thoughts or wrong words or wrong actions, you will get more of it in return. Whatever you sow in your life, you get more of it in return. Now that goes for bad things, but it also uh, goes for good things. Hosea chapter 10, verse 12. 
He says, sow righteousness for yourselves. Reap the fruit of unfailing love. And break up your unplowed ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord. He says, sow righteousness, uh, and you will reap the fruit of, of love, uh, of God's kindness. Break up the unplowed ground. This was uh, symbolic of, of repentance, where you, you plow your heart you know, so that it's open to receive God's seed. Break up your unplowed ground, for it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Uh, Stephen R. Covey, who's the great leadership guru, wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, if you sow a thought, you'll reap an action. If you sow an action, you'll reap a habit. If you sow a habit, you'll reap a character. And if you sow a character, you will reap a destiny. You'll reap what you sow. But instead of doing that, Hosea says, this is what Israel was doing. Chapter 10, verse 13. But you have planted wickedness, and so you've reaped evil. You have eaten the fruit of deception because you have depended on your own strength. You've been deceived into depending on your own strength rather than, than relying on the Lord, and you've depended on your many warriors. Uh, Paul writes about this in Galatians chapter 6. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man or a woman reaps what he or she sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Are you weary of doing good? Are you, you've been living for the Lord, you've been following him, and you're just tired. And he says, look, don't become weary in doing good. At the proper time, if you hang in there, whatever it is you're doing to serve God, to live for God, to take a stand for God, to serve other people in the name of Jesus, uh, you hang in there. Don't be weary in doing good. For at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest, a spiritual harvest, if you just don't give up. Uh, Paul writes specifically about financial giving and generosity in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 6. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. That's why one of our core purposes here at Purpose Church is generous people transform the world. And then uh, God's promise. It says in Hosea 13, verse 14, remarkable verses, uh, 700 years before Jesus gained eternal life for us uh, through his resurrection. Hosea writes, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? Where, O oh grave, is your destruction? And this was fulfilled in Christ. And Paul, later on in the book of 1 Corinthians, he takes these thoughts from Hosea and he expands on them. He says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, by Christ's death on the cross and His resurrection from the grave. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Do not be weary in doing good, for in due season you'll reap a harvest. You know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You may feel that nobody sees you, nobody notices you, but God sees you, and God notices you, and your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And now we come to the final chapter of Hosea. Uh, Hosea's uh, closing challenge. Hosea's challenge his closing challenge in his uh, final book, uh, chapter of the book of Hosea. Uh, Leon J. Wood, the great Old Testament scholar, writes about this passage. He writes, In beauty of expression, these final words of Hosea rank with the most memorable chapters of the Old Testament. Like the rainbow after the storm, they promise Israel's final restoration. Here is the full flowering of God's unfailing love for his faithless people, the triumph of his grace, the assurance of his healing, all described in imagery that reveals the loving heart of God. i tell you what I want us to do to, to close is I just want to read Hosea 14, verses 1 through 9, his closing challenge. And I'm not going to make any commentary on it. I just want us uh, to read it together as a church family. Hosea uh, chapter 14 verses 1 through 9. Return Israel to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all of our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you, the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He will blossom like a lily. Like a cedar of Lebanon, he will send down his roots. His young shoots will grow. His splendor will be like an olive tree. His fragrance like a cedar of Lebanon. People will dwell again in his shade. They will flourish like the grain. They will blossom like the vine. Israel's fame will be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim, which is another name for Israel, what more have I to do with idols? I will answer him and care for him. I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. And then finally he asks, Who is wise? Let them realize these things. Who is discerning? Let them understand. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them. But the rebellious stumble in them. Let's close with this.